This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. I was pastoring him in the normal way that a younger brother pastors his older brother, and church uh, was dismissed, and in the church that we were attending, where I was confirmed, there were these big arches. There was the wall, and then the hallway, and then a big arch over. So imagine if there was an arch right on the edge of the pew that went over this way. And so I was messing with him, and he was going, my brother was going to mess with me and set me straight. And he thought the next person walking past that little, uh, that, that thing that was going up was me, but it was actually another lady from the church. So he reached out and slapped her, thinking it was me. And that brought me great joy. Right, because my brother got in big trouble. He got in big trouble for that. He, she was not harmed, but it was just one of those like, this is perfect, poetic justice. You've been beating me. He's older. You know, you've been bullying me my whole life. You know, there are people in our families that we can't get along with. Now, I will say my brother and I are very close now. We love each other. We share the Lord together, and I'm so grateful for him in my life. But, you know, you, you have people in your family that you can't get along with. And sometimes it's just because you're going through a season, but sometimes there's real difficulty. Sometimes there's real challenges. And so uh, we've been studying the book of Romans all year long, all school year. Uh, but during Advent, we're taking a, a little bit of a break to, to look at family matters, right? To, to think about and to consider what are some of the issues that we face within our own families. And we're looking specifically at Jesus's family because at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, there's this genealogy. And a genealogy is a, is a record of the people who were Jesus's ancestors. And sometimes when you're reading through the Bible, if you've done a plan, you get to the genealogy part, and it's just a list of names, and it gets really boring. You're like, whoa, you know, he begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, and like, what difference does it even make? But if you take a minute, and you just pause, and you reflect on the list of that, those names, and you maybe even take some time and go back into the Old Testament, you'll see that that genealogy is rich with stories. Stories of tension, stories of drama, stories that make you want to scream out loud, right? Stories that tell the story of who Jesus is and the reality and the truth that Jesus didn't have a perfect family. In fact, his family was pretty broken. And for me, when I think about the areas where, where my family is broken or not maybe the way I want it to be all the time, I can take comfort and hope in knowing that if God's family is broken, then maybe it's okay in a sense that my family's broken. Because God can work redemptively through his broken family. He can work redemptively through mine. If you had told me that day that uh, my brother slapped that lady in church, <laughs> that he and I would both be in ministry, I would not have even believed you. But through the difficulty and the challenges that we face in our own lives and within our own family, God used those things to help us to become the people that we are. And I'm very, very thankful for that. And so I hope that as we lift up this character today that we're going to be looking at, you'll find hope and you'll find a way to live in your family too. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1, the first six verses of chapter 1. Please stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, 
and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father by Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word, uh, this true account of who you are that reveals in some ways who we really are. I pray that we would be able to hear what you're saying and that you would speak to us. That we'd be able to hear what you're saying, but then also apply what you want us to apply. That we would learn something this morning, but then we'd also do something this morning as a result of an encounter with you. So we might be found obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have another family member who's really interested in the lineage of the history of our family. Going back into Ancestry.com, uh, you can trace and find out where you came from, where you lived. And I've, through that, uh, learned a lot about my family history. You know, I have folks of mine, uh, ancestors that were from Sweden. In fact, a great-great-grandfather way far back in the 1600s, as a 13-year-old boy, sailed on a ship called the Cheritas from Sweden on a five-month journey uh, to, to the New World. And there uh, he eventually met his wife, uh, who had done that same journey with her parents. And I learned that, that my, uh, my family actually owned most of Wilmington, Delaware at some point. And I have no current claim on that city, but at one point that was the land that the Stalkup family owned. Stalkup. And that's, I guess, an original name that was created. It means uh, something to do with like steel shield or something like that. I don't know. I learned that. Those are the kind of cool things. You go, where did I come from? Where did we come from? But there are other things that you learn that aren't so, that aren't so fun. Um, when you read through the accounts of who was born and who died, there's so many uh, uh, pregnancies or uh, babies that are born that don't make it out of infancy. And that's such a sad thing to realize. I'm thankful for the medical uh, care that we have that has really addressed that. But I also, I shared this with you, uh, maybe it was last year, that I learned that some of my ancestors were slave owners in Tennessee. And that was a startling thing for me to realize that I have a great-great-great-grandfather who owned a slave. But as I was thinking about this, if, if we just go back up our, up our uh, tree, the other direction, you realize in the South, almost 30% of people had a, had a, um, were in a family that owned slaves. And so we realized for, for many of us, you know, that's a reality for our story. It's not a, it's not a, a good thing. And so we, we learn about the, the skeletons uh, that we have in our closet. Uh, many family members that we have have done things or said things that uh, if anyone found out, we might be ashamed or even embarrassed of our family. We probably have criminals and shysters in our lineage. And there are people, uh, ne'er-do-wells, even in our families right now. Maybe uh, they're not criminals, but they're certainly embarrassing to us sometimes. And just keep in mind that, that you might be the person that your family members think is the embarrassing one. It's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. You know, but when we look at this part of the story of uh, Jesus' family history, uh, we see a person in the story that I, 
you know, if I was God, I just, I don't know if I'd put her in the story. At first glance, you think, why would you put this person in the story? She's one of five women that appear in Jesus, uh, in this genealogy, and her name is Rahab. And you wonder, God, why did you do that? Well, as you explore her life and who she is, you'll see why it is that God chose to put her in this genealogy, how important she is. You may remember uh, that Rahab comes to us from the book of Joshua. She first appears in Joshua chapter 2. So I encourage you later today, if you want to read through Joshua chapter 2 and kind of unpack what's going on, I'm going to try to summarize it a little bit, but to learn about the story of Rahab. Joshua 2 is the, the story of Joshua is this section where God's people were called to go back into this land that had been promised them. Uh, way, way back in the Old Testament, God promised them a land. But the people of God had gone into slavery, and then they had been set free from slavery, and they were going into this land that God had promised to them that he was going to judge this land. And that's where they were headed. But the problem in this land was there were these giant fortified cities, and there were these huge warrior people that they would have to fight against. And so that made them very scared. And you have to understand, right, they were former slaves. They were not physically powerful. They had no weapons. They didn't have even really a military. But you know what? God had delivered them through the Red Sea. He had provided for them in the midst of the wilderness. Would they trust God in the middle of the obstacles that they were facing in their lives? Would they operate with fear or with faith? So Joshua sends uh, some spies into the land. And if you look at Joshua chapter 2, it says, go into the land, and it says, especially Jericho. Jericho was the city with giant walls around it. It was the most important Canaanite fortress city in the Jordan Valley. It was a stronghold. It was a position of power in the advancing Israelites' path. They had just crossed the Jordan River. It was also a principal seat for idol worship in that day. It was devoted to Ashtaroth, the goddess of the moon. And so here in Jericho was centered the vilest and most degrading region of all the Canaanites. And God was about to bring judgment upon these people. So the spies are sent to Jericho to see about how they're supposed to come into the land. And the plan is for God to bring judgment because of the sin of the people in that land. And so in order to find out where to go, the spies go to Jericho, and they come to the house of a woman named Rahab. So what do we know about Rahab? The genealogy doesn't tell us a whole lot, but if we look throughout the scriptures, we can learn a lot about her. First thing is, she's a Gentile. What does that mean? She's not an Israelite. She's not a member of God's covenant family. Okay, so God uh, and his story has often, in special ways, saved, redeemed certain Gentiles for a specific purpose. We think about in the Old Testament, the story of Ruth, right, who God used to bring glory to himself. And in the story of Ruth, she's often referred to as Ruth the Moabite. The Moabites were an enemy of God's people, but over and over again, she's Ruth the Moabite. You may remember the story of Naaman, the Syrian, who had leprosy, who was healed. Jesus said at one point, salvation is from the Jews and the only real advantage where true religion is concerned is from Judaism. But Paul, remember, this is a few, a few months ago, 
he asks, what advantage is there in being a Jew? Right? If you're a Gentile, you don't have the advantages of being a Jew. He said, much in every way. We've been entrusted with the very words of God. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the law, the temple worship, the promise, the patriarchs, the human ancestry all the way to Jesus Christ. You see, Ruth Rahab didn't have any of those things. She was not part of the people of God. She was living in a city that was dedicated to idol worship. She was an Amorite. These are one of the many peoples who were corrupted at the time. This long list of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites. This, all, the, all the Ittites are living in this land. But among these many peoples who were going to be destroyed because of their wickedness, the Amorites were singled out for their particular condemnation. They were corrupt and vile. They even sacrificed their own children and depraved religious practices. Really, really bad folks. And Rahab was a Gentile, she was an Amorite, and she also was a prostitute. Now some have argued that she actually wasn't involved in that profession, but it makes sense if you're the men of Israel to go to her house because where could you go where two strangers could show up and not be wondered about. Why would men go there? Well, everyone in town knew why strangers from out of town went to her house. We know this from Joshua too. When the king heard that spies had gone to Rahab and sent, he sent them to have them brought out. He just seemed to accept it as normal that the men would visit her and accepted her report that the men had left as quickly as they had gone. But think about this this profession, just for a second. You know, we look to our uh, occupations as a way for us to have dignity and significance in the world. We want to use our creative energy and our minds and our abilities to, to lead to flourishing and to hope for the world. Do you think that she had flourishing in her mind and heart as a result of the profession in which she engaged? Did it add or detract from her life? How do you think it affected her sense of self and who she was? Did she come home from work with a sense that she had accomplished something? I doubt it. She probably felt discouraged, dehumanized, even dirty. So humanly speaking, Rahab had nothing going for her. Few people would look back and say, oh, let me tell you about my grandmother, Rahab. That was not part of anyone's story, and yet, God wanted to use this woman who lived in a wicked city that was under his condemnation. How did he do that? Well, before we get into how he did that, let me ask you about your family. Is it possible that there are skeletons in your closet? Not literal skeletons, of course, but family secrets, secrets that have been hidden serious issues that have never been brought to light. Maybe there was abuse that took place. Maybe there were crimes that were committed. I mean, statistically speaking, it's realistic for us to, to, to think that there are people in this room that are carrying really difficult secrets and the burdens that go along with them. The way to move on from those secrets is to 
and those patterns of abuse that go with those secrets is to, is to name them, is to talk about those things with someone, to try to get help. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to, to go online and share the secret or to tell the whole world, but to find someone that you trust, someone that is willing to bear the burden with you, to communicate to you that you're not alone in what you've suffered, that you are, there are people that care about you. If you want to talk with me, if you want to talk with, with Russell or, or Betty Sue or anyone in our church family, you need someone to speak with. If you need a counselor, I know and can refer you to helpful biblical counselors that can walk with you through these things. It's important for us to talk about these things and to work through them so that the cycle of abuse or the difficulties that go on in family systems can end through the power and the hope of the gospel. You see, the beauty of living as a member of God's family is that you have access to people who want to help you. We want to encourage you. We want to walk with you through these things. And this is true, not only if your family has secrets, but if you have a secret. Is there something that you've been carrying? Is there an area of your life or a behavior in your life that needs to be addressed? Are you experiencing guilt or shame because of something that you've been doing or that you have done? Have done? I mean, see, the bad news is that we're, that we're guilty. But the good news is that Jesus loves us so much, he wants to bring these things to light so that we can heal, that we can confess, that we can be restored into right relationship with him and right relationship with one another. And that, yes, that may take a while to work through, but that's okay. We've got to start that journey in order to work through these things. You see, there are consequences to the actions that we take. But there's a consequence to the action of not seeking restoration, is that you continue in a destructive pattern. And yet if you approach God and you have someone walking with you, you can be forgiven, you can experience healing, and you can then work towards restoration. And that's good news. And we have a family to do that with one another. And so here it is, this woman, Rahab, how is it possible that God could use someone like this, uh, a Gentile, an Amorite, and a prostitute? Well, you have to think about this. It's likely that along the way there were many travelers that stopped in her home. And she had heard about what God was doing, about the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. She had probably heard stories of God and his people and their escape from Egypt about how they crossed the Red Sea, about how they had wandered in the wilderness and their recent victory over the Amorites. She had learned enough to reach what is the most wonderful and powerful conclusion that I think could possibly appear in the Old Testament. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, she says this, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. You think about how profound and how significant it is for a Gentile Amorite prostitute to make this profession. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. It's this confession along with the acts that she takes as a result of this confession because she risks essentially everything, her whole life, her whole way of being, her whole community to respond in obedience. Once God reveals himself to her, she takes action and she helps these spies to escape. And he confuses those who are searching for them. She takes an action based on this confession. And that's what we're called to do. Somehow, 
She trusted God. This woman who was far from God, who had no access to his word. She had maybe never even met a person who was a follower of God. She makes this profession. The Lord your God is heaven. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And her actions then result in the saving of her entire family. When the city is destroyed, her family is saved. Her family is set apart in the midst of the destruction because she responded in obedience to what God had revealed to her. How is this possible? It's just what God does. He often goes to the person who's farthest away, the person who has no access, the person who you would never expect to make a profession like this, a person who seems like they have no chance, and yet God begins to work in their life, and he reveals himself, and then they respond in obedience. The out of the way, the broken, the awkward, the unlovable people, God reveals himself to them, and then he uses them. He uses them for his glory to respond to his goodness, sometimes acting in courageous, unbelievable ways, even dangerous ways for the sake of his kingdom. Rahab, never having seen God's word, acted in obedience when she was given the opportunity. Rahab, who had never met one of God's people, confessed that God ruled the universe. Rahab, whose life was broken and marred by sin, was welcomed into the family of God, not because she was worthy, but because she was open to what God had done. Maybe you see yourself like an unworthy person. When you encounter God, you realize the holiness of God and you think, I'm not worth this. I couldn't be in relationship with God. I I have messed up. I look back at my past and I live with regret over the things that I've said and I've done. Or even right now, I'm still struggling with the same things. I'm still stuck in a cycle of self-sabotage. Maybe you need to remember that God is always moving toward those who are broken Maybe you need to remember that just in the same way that God can reach down into the life of a woman in the city of Jericho, he can reach down into your life and bring about change. Rahab was open to God and she made her profession and then she acted in obedience, which was in line with that profession. So for us, the question isn't whether or not we've heard God's word because we've been considering it this morning. The question is, will we listen to what God says? Will we ask for forgiveness? Will we seek to make things right? Will we engage in relationship with people who, who are in need? You know, or will we reach out to the people around us who God has already prepared, who may seem like they're very distant from God with one invitation? Would you like to come with me to church? Would you like to come over to my home for dinner? Let me get to know you and be in relationship with you. With one simple invitation, that person that you know might respond. Maybe a whole neighborhood will respond for crying out loud. You just don't know until you take the risk and you say, this is the God who works in history. Just think about this. Of all the people that could be put in Jesus' genealogy, this is one that God picked. It gives me great hope. It gives me great joy to know that even the broken and the far from God There's nothing that can be done. They're not out of reach. And we think about this, Rahab's name comes up in the the New Testament a number of times, uh, just revealing that, that God is working in her life. 
In Hebrews it says, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She was saved because she trusted God and that faith meant that she acted. It's not enough just to hear the words and to nod your head and say yes. It's to say, yes, Lord, you did something. You sent your son Jesus. And now as a response to that, I'm going to live in obedience. I'm learning one thing, and so now I'm doing one thing. James tells us, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's not enough just to hear about it. Proof that we believe it is a response in obedience. So what is it that God is telling you to do? What is God asking you to do? What is God saying to you this morning? Rahab's obedience reflected that she trusted in God and because of that, she saved her family. She took a risk, and it made a difference. Um, on Thursday, I had a chance to, uh, to go over to Colonial Park uh, Methodist. I'm friends with the pastor over there. And um, you may have noticed that on the first and third Thursday, they have a ministry where they're uh, getting food and gathering food and feeding folks. They line up in the line. Uh, sometimes at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and they wait, and it goes until about 12 or 1 o'clock. And so I went over there and just volunteered to, uh, to see if I could engage people in the line with spiritual conversations and just talk to them. They have a great ministry with, uh, with giving out the food. It's very organized. If you're interested in helping out with that, it's the first and third Thursday. If you want to talk with me and go with me when I go uh, in a couple of weeks, we'd love for you to go. But I like being out front. Uh, and handing out a piece of paper, and that gives me a chance then to talk to people, see if they're open spiritually. And uh, not everybody is, uh, but there were about, I don't know, 200 and something cars that came through. They feed sometimes two and three families in each car. So a lot of people are being helped by this great ministry. Uh, but some of the folks, you know, you see a lot of people come through, and some people get the form, you hand it to them, and then they just go on. But other people, because the line stops, have a chance to talk. And one person really struck uh, stuck out to me. I said, I said, you know, hey, give me some good news. Uh, because you're in a line, you need food. I want to hear what's going on. I'm trying to break the ice a little bit. Give me some good news. And uh, she shared something. Most of them say, I'm glad to be alive. And I'm like, hey, me too. It was a beautiful day uh, on Thursday. But I said, uh, you know, I sensed an opening in conversation. I said, is there anything that you're facing, a challenge that you're facing right now for which I could pray? And she said, I, I need a new job. I, I need the right job. And I said, okay. And then she started to, to cry. Uh, she was a whistleblower at her, at her job. I don't know the details. It was a pretty short visit. But she just said, I, I couldn't let them do what they were doing anymore. She risked it all to stand up for the right thing. And now she's in line needing food. And I just thought I had a chance to pray for her. And I prayed that she would get the right job. And I think here's a person who has said, God, I'm going to have to stand up in this moment to do what you want me to do at a great risk. And think about Rahab. She risked everything to be obedient to God. This other woman risked everything to be obedient to God. And I'm believing that God is going to provide for her a wonderful job, but then also his presence as she faces this. Here's the thing, friends. Whatever it is that God is telling you to do, if it's consistent with Scripture, 
if it's what Jesus is saying for you to do. And if you have a question about that, then you can talk with someone who's walking with Jesus as well to give you counsel about your decision. Then God is going to be with you. He's going to help you make the decision and deal with the consequences, whatever they are. And trust me, you're going to be better for it. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that you won't face hardship. You won't have tears. But when you do what Jesus asks you to do, he always blesses that. So let me just encourage you. Whatever's going on in your family, whatever challenge it is that you're facing, take that challenge, take that difficulty and say, Lord, help me with this. What is it that you would have me to do? If he doesn't reveal himself right away, keep asking. Patiently wait. Invite someone else into the conversation to say, what can I do in this situation to be obedient to the Lord? And I believe that God will reveal it to you. And he will bless you as you walk in obedience, just like he did Rahab. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.